everybody. Welcome to Naval Gazing, the Valley Indie Podcast. My name is Eugene Driscoll of ValleyIndie.org, website located in Connecticut's lower Naugatuck Valley. And joining me this week for part two of an interview that we uh, started last episode is Seymour First Selectman Kurt Miller. Mr. Miller, welcome back to the broadcast. Always a pleasure to be here. And I think you should stop saying the lower Naugatuck Valley and just say, your home base is Seymour. We finally <laughs> made the move to the best town in the Valley. And I think you just come out and say that. I, I did move. The office is now in Seymour on Main Street, but I haven't been there since May. That's the only... Uh, do I still have to pay taxes if I haven't been there since May? You definitely have to pay rent. <sighs> Well, yeah, no, the, sure. the rent we pay, the rent is paid up. I, I, we don't, we don't mess around at the Valley India. I'm just wondering if I can get some kind of uh, break on my property, uh, personal property, because uh, all my equipment is is in a, a bedroom. But all right, wait before we'll, we begin this. We'll podcast, see how these questions go. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Everybody, that was a joke. Okay. Uh, <laughs> before we begin, I just want to read an important message, important and timely message. COVID-19 has changed life as we know it, and the Valley needs your help now more than ever. The region's health and human service providers face unprecedented challenges in meeting the needs of those affected by this pandemic. Some organizations are even at the risk of closing their doors, but you can make a difference in our community by joining with others in one of three ways. One, give directly to Valley nonprofits. Two, participate in the Valley United Way's annual campaign. Or three, support the Valley Community COVID-19 Response and Recovery Fund. Please visit valleyfoundation.org to learn more. And you should. So, and then, Kurt, before we get into uh, Seymour local news, that's the subject of of this podcast. Uh, Last week, or whenever people are listening to this, the previous podcast, Mr. Miller was on, and we talked about some sensitive, rather controversial Facebook posts that had been circulating in the town. Well, excuse me. That was, uh, I've just been struck down. You're right. (laughs) I just had some uh, uh, cardboard pizza before I might, this might not, this might end well or not end well. All right. Good. Now I got some post uh, production editing to do. So Mr. Miller was on the podcast, the previous episode with me talking about some uh, rather controversial Facebook posts that had been circulating within the town of Seymour involving uh, public officials. Go back and listen to that episode if you want to hear it. I don't want to rehash the whole thing because it'll take two hours. But I just wanted to read, in in the interest of fairness, a post that Richard Demko, the chairman of the Seymour Republican Town Committee, left on the Valley Indy Facebook page where I had posted uh, last week's or last episode uh, podcast. Mr. Demko says, since you were curious about the Seymour RTC's position in regards to the profoundly-laced Bowen post that resurfaced yet again, and you never even bothered to reach out and ask because you seem to care less about the opinions of the GOP, it's blatantly obvious that you tend to cater to Democrats, here is the position of the Seymour RTC in regards to the Bowen post you mentioned in your podcast. The Seymour RTC does not play petty politics or run smear campaigns, we don't have to, as we have a proven record of winning landslide elections in our town based around positive and effective policies. We run strong and highly educated candidates. We focus on the issues that directly affect the people of our town, and we take meaningful action on issues that may present. 
With that said, we also strongly believe in the First Amendment. If one of our members decides to exercise that right against a candidate of the opposing party, or even within our own party, we will not suppress their independent opinions. As long as it is not hateful or hurtful in nature. If the RTC has something to say about a candidate, a policy, or a situation, it will come directly from the RTC. And as a side note, as chairman of the SRTC, I personally believe that our party affiliation has little to no bearing on our town's municipal business after campaign season is over, as we are all elected to do what is best for the people of the town and to conduct ourselves as one governing body to achieve the best possible outcomes for our residents, students, and businesses. Any public official involved in municipal politics that believes otherwise is in it for the wrong reasons. That was from Richard Demko, the chairman of the Seymour Republican Town Committee. And thank you uh, for sharing that, Mr. Demko. Uh, all right. So you're a Republican, right? Uh, yeah. Okay. So moving on, I thought we would now uh, talk about some hyperlocal issues uh, in the town of Seymour. One thing I wanted to check in with you, Mr. Miller, uh, is a couple of months back, the Economic Development Commission, a uh, sort of a uh, reinvigorated commission in town looking to bring businesses or trying to figure out ways to bring businesses into Seymour, uh, where you're you know, competing with Waterbury and Shelton and all these other surrounding uh, communities. They had been talking about possibly bringing in Sheila O'Malley, who is the Economic development director and grant writer for the city of Ansonia uh, to do some work for Seymour. And I'm wondering what is uh, the status of that idea or movement or whatever you want to call it at this point? Um, as of now, it's, it's still status quo. Uh, as you know, the board asked me to remove myself uh, from the process at that point, particularly if we're going to be interviewing uh, specific candidates because I have some um, direct relationships with some of the people who could be interested in applying, uh, Sheila uh, included in that. So they asked me to kind of take a back seat to that. The process is being run by the deputy uh, first select woman, Anne-Marie Dragonis. Um, they're still kind of formulating a plan as to how they want to, uh, to move forward, uh, how they want to, to handle this. Um, but, you know, something that's come up in you know, the last few weeks, there's been some conversations, and, and we've talked about this in the past, uh, the three towns specifically, Seymour, Antonio, Derby, kind of looking at ways that we could regionalize, things that we could start to do together that make sense, that would have, um, that would provide improved results to our residents and would provide some financial relief as well. Uh, if you look at the city of Shelton, they have a very successful uh, economic development corporation. And I think a lot of that has to do just with the, the breadth of businesses that they have in Shelton, the development that they've done over the last uh, you know, 25 to 30 years. So one of the things that has actually come up in conversation is does it make sense to create a Valley Economic Development Corporation? Mm. Um, not specifically to handle economic development needs of uh, the towns per se, because I think the towns still need some individuality in that area. But if you had the strength that a Valley Economic Development Corporation 
you know, the resources that that could provide, the opportunity to uh, hold land for, you know, the, for the, the three towns, uh, whether it be Brownsfield. I don't know if that comes out of the Valley Council of Governments, Naugatuck um, Valley Council of Governments, excuse me, or it, it set up something. But these conversations now are starting to come to the forefront. Um, so I think we're kind of checking, um, you know, all the different opportunities that are available before we make a hundred percent move forward. We have, we're fortunate in Seymour now. We have a very strong, I think, economic development commission. Uh, we have some great members on that board. Um, and you know, if that board could have the additional resources of some type of developmental corporation, I think it would be a home run for so that's a long answer to we're still uh, chugging along through the process. So in the meantime, I'm handling economic development, uh, talking to different developers, uh, working very closely with uh, Jim Baldwin, who is our um, director of uh, development and code compliance. Uh, we're actually coming out with some updated versions of our zoning regulations, uh, which will start moving through the, the process uh, as soon as next month. So I think we're, we're heading in the right direction. And then one thing people always like to ask about, uh, is there any word on uh, new businesses coming uh, to town at this point? Although I know with COVID, uh, everything's sort of frozen in terms of kind of the small mom and pop shops. But I'll ask anyways, anything uh, new happening in, in Seymour? Uh, nothing new major. I know that uh, COVID has definitely had an impact on things. Um, you know, just last week I was speaking with um, some of the management folks up at Cooley, uh, and they were saying that they're actually going to be looking for to add to their staff, that they are unable to keep up with the demand. Um, and the reason that stemmed from, I had a friend who was trying to get a Thule rack uh, for his car for a vacation. He called uh, a supplier, and the supplier said, yeah, it's going to take four or five weeks. So I called up the Thule and said, hey, what's going on? Why is it taking so long? And they said that they just can't keep up with it. So that's great news. That's one of our larger taxpayers, one of our larger employers, is having a hard time keeping up with the demand. Mm. So, again, it's not always necessarily about constantly bringing in new businesses. I think there's a lot of economic value when your largest taxpayers and your largest employers are continuing to grow because again, they're needing to bring in more employees. They're going to need to expand existing facilities, existing infrastructure. And when they're doing that, they're buying into the plan that the town is putting forward. So, you know, again, I'm excited that, you know, Thule has made a huge investment in the town of Seymour, obviously basement systems and Dr. Energy Saver have done that. MPI has done that. Emory Winfield scale has done that. So that's, tr that's the true engine that runs economic development and what allows you to keep the mill rate stable like we have for the last five years. Mm. And then just in terms of COVID-19 and the economic uh, impact, I mean, we're all hoping and praying that we don't get a second wave uh, in the Northeast uh, come fall, uh, or at least not as bad as we had it in March and April. But I was watching the Seymour Board of Selectmen meeting on YouTube, and it's just great that all these meetings go straight to YouTube. It's just, I encourage residents to uh, search it out and check some of the stuff out. But you were saying that in terms of tax collection, uh, Seymour is still, there hasn't been a dip at this point. You haven't seen uh, people unable to keep up with uh, their taxes uh, in town. 
And uh, but it's like on, on one hand, I keep reading uh, even in the in the Connecticut media that there is this we're sort of waiting for another uh, shoe to drop. I think uh, it seems like a lot of businesses got those PPP loans, uh, if, I'm, if I'm getting the acronym yep. correct. Uh, and that really has kept things afloat to some extent. Uh, wh- what's going on? Is that accurate or because uh, I, I thought it would be sort of an apocalypse by this point in terms of joblessness and businesses closing and people unable to pay taxes based on uh, everything that was going on in, say, March and April and uh, early May. But where do we stand? I mean, we, I think Seymour was very proactive when all of this started. Once we started to see signs uh, that this virus was hitting and was starting to spread. Um, and, you know, there was just some chatter and some talk at that point. This goes back into you know, December and January uh, about the concerns. At that point, we put a spending freeze on to try to prepare because if this did come to the United States, you know, we can kind of have our ducks in, in order. It did. Um, you know, right now we are looking at a small deficit for fiscal year uh, 20, which just ended potentially. Uh, there is a large surplus on the Board of Education side. So once we're able to close out those books, we're probably going to be able to close out our deficit and still put some extra money away for the Board of Education. So we're finishing fiscal year 20 uh, on a very positive note, where a lot of other towns and cities are actually a huge deficit that they're dealing with. So I'm very happy that we've been able to do that for fiscal year 21, the year which just started uh, fiscally just started two weeks ago, we kept the spending freeze in place and we proactively identified about $900,000 worth of places where we would hold the spending of money back to see what would happen. Because the last thing we wanted to do was get into some financial difficulty where we either had to run our fund balance down, or we had to go back to the residents for uh, additional taxes. So again, we tried to be extremely proactive to that because we, like a lot of other towns, had the concern that tax revenue was going to be off. And what we've seen, and again, it's only a small snapshot, it's only 15 days, but we are about six-tenths of a percent ahead of last year's pace. Mm. So again, that's that's a very positive sign. Uh, You know, we needed to, uh, the increase in the amount of taxes needed to run the town from fiscal year 20 to fiscal year 21 was was only about 233,000. So again, a very small number. We are already $299,000 ahead of last year in collections. So again, the signs in this first two week snapshot are extremely positive. But who knows what could happen because obviously the vast amount of taxes are paid near the end of the month, not in the beginning of the month. Mm-hmm. So we'll see sort of what happens. I mean, people like me wait till the last day, run down, pay the taxes. But the signs are positive. Things are looking good. As I said, we're going to keep the spending freeze in place. Uh, we're going to stay very proactive, very diligent, um, tracking all the numbers. So we were, we were very closely with our finance director, Doug Thomas, and our tax collector, Dana Flock, who is a, a superstar. Um, so I think we're in. I think we're in really good shape. And then, in terms of the deficit, you may uh, close the last fiscal year with. I believe you said at the board of selectmen meeting that has to do with a payment that was supposed to come from the state. <clears throat> Am I getting that right? What's the deal there? Having to do with school construction, I think, or no? Yeah, it was for Chapel Lopresti School. 
um, you know, once the school is, is built and occupied and, and up and running at that point, you go through paperwork and you do a closeout, uh, at that point. And then they essentially, they true up all the money that you're supposed to receive. And we had been waiting to have that done. It's actually within last year's budget. Uh, but with the transition, when Rick Belden, uh, retired from Seymour and moved on, uh, Sherry Holmes, our new business manager, just there's so much you can ask a person to do in, in their first year. While Sherry is very good, very capable, um, it was just a lot for her to be asked to do. So uh, that money is expected to come in uh, in August or September is what we're projecting at, at this point. So that payment was budgeted for fiscal year 20 as a revenue source for about $300,000. Okay. So again, the, the deficit that we're showing uh, is, is basically that. So had we had that money come in, uh, there would be no deficit. And then all we would have would be the, the surplus on the board of education. Okay. And there's a, that makes sense? it does. Yeah. Uh, and you had mentioned at that meeting also that, uh, the, the board of ed might be able to, uh, ideally keep about 90 grand to have a little fun balance. So uh, that, that, that's sort of a new trend we're seeing in, uh, Valley schools. Uh, is that correct? Yeah, um, you know, Sherry has identified, Sherry and Doug obviously work, Doug Thomas, our finance director, work very closely with one another. Uh, Sherry has identified a surplus potential between 290000 and 440000 for the Board of Education. And obviously, she can't say 100%. So all the payrolls have been run through and, you know, everything has been closed out. But uh, certainly very positive numbers uh, in conversation with Bill Zwicky, the chairman of the Board of Finance. Uh, he absolutely supports that once the deficit is closed, whatever surplus the Board of Education has to be put into this special fund uh, to allow them to offset costs in future years or to make uh, reinvestments into their capital and their infrastructure. Okay, But that would be at the discretion of the Board of Education. They would control that fund themselves. And then before moving on, I mean, I have a few other uh, topics I wanted to touch upon. Uh, nothing major or or that kind of jumps out, especially compared to like what we talked about in previous podcasts. But let me turn it over to you for a second, because I mean, you're the guy who hides all the news in town, doesn't tell uh, the Valley Indy Sentinel because I'm a, because I'm a communist, but uh, you're a communist. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Uh, What is, is there anything else? Is there anything you wanted to emphasize? I mean, the floor is yours at about the 20 minute mark of this podcast. No, I mean, you listen, I don't want to say anything now because I want to save it for my Facebook page so I can put it out and kind of pump up my likes and, and everything else. So you get good. No, I'm just kidding. You know, nothing. I mean, you know, we've been trying to keep things just status quo below the radar moving along. Um, you know, Seymour's not as exciting as some of the other communities around us because, you know, to Rick's point, you know, every 24 months, out of those 24 months, there's like three or four months where we're running and we're two separate parties. The rest of the time, everybody works together for the best interests of the residents. And I think if you look at the Board of Selectmen, very infrequently is the vote not 7-0 because there's a lot of communication, there's a lot of back and forth. Uh, you know, We listen to each other's ideas, we listen to each other's opinions, and we all truly have the best interests of the town going forward. So I- I'm just proud to say that as it stands today, we're in, we're in good shape, I think, with the virus itself. Uh, today is Thursday. I have a meeting later this afternoon with 
our emergency management team. We're going to talk about the current situation of the virus, uh, what changes we should be making, uh, what changes we should be considering for going forward. Uh, at this point, we're probably, or at least my desire, is to keep everything online through the month of August and revisit things in September. Uh, keep town hall appointment only like it has been. It's working out very well. Keep the library closed, community center closed, and then see where we stand for uh, September 1st. But the one thing we are working on with Rob Dyer, uh, director of IT, is keeping these meetings, even when this virus is gone, keeping these meetings online using Zoom as well. So our goal is to set up the Norman Drummer Room with uh, laptops. So when all so the, all the meetings will be held there. Um, board members will come in. They will log into the laptop. The meeting will be held live in the Drummer Room, but also via Zoom for residents to tune in uh, wherever they are. That We're is seeing great. a lot of positive feedback with the Zoom stuff. Um, so I think we want to continue that. Because again, the more the residents hear what we say, see what we say, the more they're able to be a part of the meetings, I think is, is just a, a great thing for the community. Yeah, I think that's wonderful. I mean, uh, you know, I'm a one-person newsroom, so I obviously... Here's my tremendous bias. Uh, you know, the Seabor Selectman and the Derby P&Z meet on the same night, and I'm one person. But because of Zoom, right. I've been able to... You know, I've got setups here with two different laptops and two different uh, mixers, and I've been able to record uh, multiple meetings at the same time to try to... Uh, uh, you know, get more information on Valley Indy. So, I, I mean, I love the Zoom aspect, the fact that these meetings online uh, go online. And I was wondering if it was something that will uh, uh, continue, because I think if it, I mean, if the public wants to, you, you got to do a little work, you got to go to a YouTube page or you got to go to Zoom, but you can really keep informed as to what's going on uh, in your town. I mean, I spent, I got up at six this morning. I watched my Seymour Selectman meeting. Then right after that, I went into a two hour Seymour Police Commission meeting. Uh, oh, those is, are good times, aren't they? Seymour Police Commission is yeah, interesting. You're doing your kumbaya, we all get along stuff, uh, stuff. But the Seymour Police Commission, they get. I, I, what I like about it, and I'm being, I understand it's a. It, 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 these are volunteers, and it's a very important mission. So I'm not belittling, uh, just so people know. Uh, but by the end of that two-hour meeting, there, you know, it looked like two guys are ready to just to start screaming at each other uh, over Zoom. So you can, I mean, that's what you can see. Wow. It's it's. Uh, it's really uh, transparent, and I enjoy it. Uh, and what about there's uh, no? Oh well, hold on, I'm not going to let that one pass. <laughs> Come on. Yeah, yeah, Come it, on. yeah. Zoom is, yeah. So everybody has to get the. Uh, yeah, those are long meetings. But uh, <laughs> but how about in terms? We use of a, you know, I well, I always had a slogan, and you know, on all my signs and everything, leadership matters because I think it's extremely important. That board is a mess. Because leadership of the board. Oh, now wait a second. Allows it to be that way. Now you're going to oh, get yeah, me I'm in trouble. A grenade right now. I was just kidding. No, no, around I'm throwing a grenade right now. All right. I don't, well, oh, I'm uh, com yeah. Well, we, uh, if yeah. you listen to those meetings, you have board members being yelled at and taunted by members of the audience. And the chairman doesn't say a word to anybody in the audience. That's not how these meetings work. That promotes chaos. But that's what that person wants, wants chaos. That person is not in, does not have the best interest of the town of Seymour in mind. That person has a personal agenda that he is trying to push. That's why those meetings are two and a half, three, four hours long. 
There's absolutely no way those meetings should be that long. I can't respond because uh, it's going to open up a whole. I'm going to get. An, I'm going to get another. I mean, if Demco was mad last time, I, I can't. Uh, the people you're talking about, I haven't reached out to, nor am I going to reach out uh, for comment today. Uh, but uh, all right, let's move on. <laughs> Nothing I can say about that. I can't add to it. So all right, that's your Mr. That's Mr. Miller who's just expressed his uh, his opinion. Those are my. Uh, those are my words expressed directly from me. All right. No one else. I did not, I did not expect that. All right. How about the WPCA? Now this is also, I'm not reaching out to the WPCA uh, for comments. People know this is a conversation about uh, public matters. Uh, that's what a, sort of this podcast is. But a couple of months ago, uh, you were ticked off at the WPCA because there was a rate increase coming uh, with, in your opinion, little to no explanation and there were a lot of issues raised in terms of whether the WPCA which is managed by a, a third party an outside agency a private company whether they're maintaining uh, the equipment enough whether there's a plan to maintain equipment and I watched some WPCA meetings where the company got in there and said no we, we do have a plan we are maintaining things what's the latest are people did that increase go through uh, and it, and for anybody keeping track, the WPCA is a independent body. They don't uh, report to uh, Kurt Miller or the Board of Selectmen. So they're they're their own thing. They set the rates, and that's their within their jurisdiction. What's the latest? Yeah, to, to date, we have not received an updated budget. Um, I know they held at least one budget workshop. Uh, Amory Jagonas, our deputy first selectwoman, she is. Uh, an environmental engineer by trade. Uh, so she is very knowledgeable, very well versed to be on that board. Um, so she has kind of taken the lead in this area. Um, and I take absolute advisement from her um, on this. It's something that we are still working through. There's still um, a good number of problems that need to be addressed. Uh, our town attorney, Rich Patron, and I did meet with uh, the folks at Veolia. Uh, we had a very candid and frank conversation. We cleared up some issues, I think. Um, I think Veolia has a good understanding of where I'm coming from. I have a good understanding of where they're coming from, which I think is important. Uh, that communication line is, is certainly open. But there are some changes that are going to need to take place um, for this to be fixed, for this to be running as efficiently as a lot of the other departments in the town. But I would expect you'll see some stuff in the next uh, next few weeks. And just to refresh my memory, what type of increase were they talking about for uh, the in sewer rates? Uh, my understanding was it would be ten percent a year for the next three or four years. Ten percent each year, absolutely unacceptable. Ten percent yeah, each year, which is absolutely unacceptable. Oh wow! Okay. Yeah, unacceptable. <laughs> yeah, that's just unacceptable. And you know, it's not fair to the residents of, of Seymour. Um, I think the operation is just not run very well. And I think that's, that's at a board level. Now, in terms of uh, my experience with the WPCAs in Derby, must have been about a decade ago now, they had sort of a similar situation where the WPCA, uh, which admittedly no one pays attention to, uh, media, the no. public, or, the, or a lot of times the government itself, uh, had in Derby, they they had tried to put forward a, a big increase, and you know, for, for like Archie Moore's, it was like a thousand percent increase or something like that. And uh, 
because they hadn't maintained the, the plant for, for, for decades, it had been sort of just swept under the rug in terms of all the administrations and all that, blah, blah, blah. But anyway, they ended up doing a, a big bonding resolution that the public eventually supported and passed. Is bonding coming uh, from the Seymour WPCA to help out some of the, the issues there, do you think? Um, I think bonding is something that should absolutely be considered uh, for the WPCA. There's a lot of infrastructure concerns that they have. Uh, they have a plan, uh, allegedly have a plan in place now um, as to how they will move forward over the next five to 10 years, but they have no payment mechanism. Their hope is just to use surplus funds okay. every year. The problem with that is it's not a reliable revenue stream. You're not a hundred percent sure if you could meet your, your infrastructure goal every year. But the bigger problem is things that are problems now are not going to be addressed until five, six, seven years down the road. So how do you plan to address those things as they are continuing to fail and you're losing efficiency within the plant? So does it make more sense to take out a bond issue now where rates are very, very low, have, an un have all the work done at one time, have an understanding of what your principal and interest payments might be for the next 10, 15, 20 years, whatever it is, build that into your budget, into your long-term model and have some control over these increases. Hmm. It just, it, it's very, the way the WPCA conducts their business is very, very different than the way the town does it. We obviously have plans in place. We have an understanding of what future expenses will be and how we're going to control them. The WPCA just seems to go year by year, kind of seated their pants. And we're starting to see that it's causing problems. Okay, understood. Uh, the last thing I wanted to ask you about was uh, that we had talked uh, over, I guess it must have been a year ago, and I apologize, my son is having a meltdown over either Fortnite or Roblox in the next room. <laughs> He's uh, not, he, I guess he just lost, okay. he lost a match. He doesn't take losing well. It's, yeah. like, it's just rage quit city. But uh, the community center there, where does that, yep. last I talked to you, I think there was supposed to be a, a committee or a commission of some kind set up or where, where is that? There had been talk uh, about, I mean, Seymour, you, you would, you, you've been pushing for a, a community center uh, as needed uh, in the town. The, the current community center is like a thousand years old on, on Pine Street. What's, what's going on there? It, it, it's kind of been put on hold. A, a committee was formed. Uh, everyone was named to the committee. It's kind of a broad uh, group of people. Um, the issue we have is, you know, we had envisioned the community center back in the fall of what was needed back in the fall. And things six months later are extremely different. Mm. So until we have an understanding of how we're going to come out of this pandemic, when we're going to come out of this pandemic, what the new normal is going to be, it's very hard for us to determine the proper path forward. I mean, we absolutely need a new community center. There is no question about that. But until we have an understanding, we can't really put any plans in place. I feel like an idiot because I didn't even think of that. Because, yeah, how do you design a building if we have if you have to right. continue social distancing? You don't know what the long-term impact is going to be just in terms of how public spaces will be designed. Is that sort of the – is that what you're talking about? Yes. Because, you know, we had talked about, you know, indoor turf fields and multiple basketball courts all kind of together, an indoor track, you know, fitness centers, swimming pools, playgrounds, meeting space, programming space. 
you know, this kind of all inclusive building that, you know, on any, on a good day might have, you know, a couple hundred to a thousand people in it. Mm. You know, I don't know if that's a realistic reality going forward until we see how we come out of this. You know, we don't want to build something that's designed to hold all these people and come to find out that we can't have any more than 150 people in it at any one time. Then it's a waste of money. You know, we're talking that it might be, you know, upwards of, you know, 12 to 15 million. But is that even necessary at that point? Can we do something in this new world that we live in where 5 million is enough? Is it going to be 20 million because we have to add all this extra space or special air handling units or, or what have you? So mm. we're in a holding pattern right now until we see kind of what uh, happens or what happens going forward, I should say, and then we'll make a determination at that point. You know, if I was any kind of reporter, I would have led with that topic. <laughs> <laughs> well, I had you going through revenue and how your tax rate and blah, man. And then I, you go off on the police commission. All right, great. That's, well, that's interesting. All right. That is definitely a news just story. Just the commission, not the police department. <laughs> Apparently just one, just one, uh, you know, uh, living legend who's who chairs the kid. Great. I just, I don't even want to, I don't, I don't, I'm stopping. Uh, the other thing, just one last, I said that my last thing was my last one, but, uh, I have a story, so I might as well, uh, bring it up and, and then at the same time, fact check my story. But on Tuesday, the board of selectmen, uh, awarded a $1.4 million bid to uh, reconstruct, repair, repave some roads within the silver mine commerce and technology park. Um, and it was awarded to B&W Construction of Watertown. Uh, they were the lowest of five <clears throat> bidders. Uh, the work could begin within the next month, be done by October. Uh, hopefully, your town engineer told the selectmen. And it, it seems like some of the roads that are being done, we're talking about Cogwheel Lane, at least p- portions of it, uh, Silvermine Road from uh, Thule down to Haddad Road, all of Progress Avenue, and then some minor improvements to uh, the intersection of Silvermine and Route 67, uh, which, which trucks uh, have trouble navigating. They bottom out and, and get stuck, according to your town engineer. So that leaves, is this from the uh, bond money that voters approved, which seems like 100 years ago, but was probably last year or the year before? When was that? Oh, uh, yeah, this is the $5 million. Uh, we received uh, $6.5 million total, a million and a half for uh, projects and, uh, you know, for building projects and $5 million for roads. Uh, we had earmarked about $2 million of that money for the industrial park. Uh, as you can see, the numbers are coming in lower than we had anticipated, which is great. Uh, we have about an extra $600,000 now to spend. Uh, so we're going to take care of the industrial park first. Uh, obviously, we want to make sure that that is in uh, tip-top condition. Those roads have never been touched, I don't believe, since the park has been built. Mm. Uh, and like, you know, those... A lot of the business owners that I mentioned earlier had reached out and you know, saying, Hey, we're making massive reinvestments in Seymour. We asked that the town do the same up in, you know, our commerce and technology part. So we heard, um, heard what they had to say and, you know, we're going to match their investment with investment of our own. Uh, and then the rest of the money, uh, that roughly 3.6 million will be spent, uh, this fall, next spring and next summer on roads throughout town based on, our proactive road program that we have. Uh, as you know, each January, uh, Brian Asteriak, our town engineer, goes and reviews every road in Seymour, ranks the roads, and uh, we work our way through a list 
based on road usage, based on road condition, uh, so on and so forth. All right. Sounds good. Yeah. Another $3.6 million. Uh, all roads in Seymour will be paved by the end of the year, you're saying? No, I'm sorry. Yeah. I'm just, I just, no, I, that, that, you're not going to pave all the roads. I'm just, I'm just trying to. Not every road, but all the roads in the, to... the vast majority of roads in the plan will be paved. Yes. Gotcha. All right. So yeah, before we'll, I let we'll you go. 600,000. What well, uh, I was going to say with, with the industrial park being $600,000 below projected budget. Mm-hmm. That assumes that what we projected to do for the three point six million or the, the three million that was left is going to be stretched even further, plus have an additional six hundred thousand on top of it. So I feel comfortable we're going to be able to do even more roads than we had initially anticipated. Oh wow! Any idea like the number of roads you would or the mileage you would do on that uh, with all this money with the total? I uh, don't know, Brian. Once we finish the industrial, or the, excuse me, the Commerce and Technology Park, uh, at that point we'll sit down and we'll go through and we'll have specific numbers at that point. Hey, and a, a compliment to the Seymour Board of Selectmen. It was uh, refreshing to see uh, the bid process be talked about uh, at length like that. A lot of times a bid is awarded and it just says people just vote on it in some of the other towns. Uh, the fact that you had your engineer come forward and sort of explain the bid and what the other bids were, I thought that was uh, refreshing and transparent and helpful as an observer trying to follow uh, what was happening. So uh, that was good to see. Yeah, we want we want the average person to be able to watch the meeting and understand what's going on. Because sometimes we do things at a higher level, and the average person may not fully grasp what's going on because they're just not aware. Mm-hmm. So by bringing these folks in, having them explain kind of the process they went through to get to that point, to what they're presenting to the selectmen, and doing it in layman's terms, uh, I think just helps the the residents stay a little bit better educated, which helps us do our job a little bit easier because the residents understand what we're doing in the direction that we're going. Awesome. Well, with that, Mr. Miller, if, unless there's anything you else, anything else you wanted to add, I think this brings a conclusion to our now, uh, I think between the last two episodes, almost two hours of open discussion between uh, me, uh, a registered, uh, I guess, socialist Democrat and you, a Republican named Kurt Miller. Is there anything else you wanted to add? Oh, man, my jokes are just bad this week. I apologize. Anything? Oh, there's a lot of things that I have to say. I mean, <laughs> I don't, don't want to hear how it. Spicy, how spicy you want things to get. We can talk about some of the political climate that's going on out there. Some, no. You know, some personal stuff, some, you know, things that are going on here in Seymour. I mean, there's a lot. There's a lot we can unpack if you want. All right. Come back next but, month. No, I'm, I'm already traumatized. No, no, I'll, I'll say this, but and I say this with all seriousness. You know, it seems that you know Seymour is very boring, and it is because we are able to get a lot of things done. We're able to do uh, a lot of planning, and I know I get a lot of the credit for that. But I just want to say we are successful in this community because there are truly a lot of people working together, providing input, Republican and Democrat that put these plans together, help develop these plans, work these plans, uh, stay on top of and tweak these plans. So this community, I think, is truly blessed to have not only an excellent professional staff, but an excellent group of volunteers that work behind the scenes to get all of this stuff done and and make it seem simple and easy. It's definitely not, but again, it, it seems that way because of the hard work and effort of 
so many people. So I just want to say thank you to all of them, particularly over the last three or four months uh, with the pandemic and everything going on. It has not been easy. Uh, but again, these people took time away from their families, took time away from work, did the things that they needed to do uh, to make sure that this community stayed uh, in the best possible condition that it would. We kept everybody safe and we kept moving forward. So I want to say thank you to to all of them. All right. And with that, that was Seymour First Selectman Kurt Miller. And this is Eugene Driscoll saying uh, thanks for listening and uh, we'll talk to you next time. <laughs>